Jen Zamparelli on 2FM with Leia Healthcare. Always a beat ahead. Visit LeiaHealthcare.ie. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Now, on to something else. In recent weeks, the dark web has been back in the news and after tragic details emerged about how the murderers of British team Brianna Gay shared an interest in it, we decided to ask Elaine Burke, who's from For Tech's Sake podcast, to come in and tell us a little bit about the good and the bad side to the dark web. Elaine, how are you? How are you doing? I am fascinated by this because it's an area that I need to learn about. You know, I do have a child. I want to make sure as he grows up, I understand as much about the internet as is possible so as I can protect him because I was, I didn't grow up with the internet and a lot of these kids are growing up with it and it's a very different way to have to learn to navigate. So I suppose, first of all, let's start with the basics. What is the dark web? Yes, yeah, so the dark web is uh, basically operates like the web that we understand. They have sites with domains that people visit, um, but they wouldn't be listed on search engines. You wouldn't be able to find them through Google. They are intentionally dark so they're intentionally hard to find and privacy controlled as well and the way it works is through this system called onion routing and you'll hear the name Tor come up a lot in conversations about the dark web and that's an acronym for the onion router and onion routing it's actually a really helpful analogy it's layers of encryption technology so instead of your computer connecting to a server that passes you a website and it's nearly like a direct link uh, to simplify what's called the surface web, which is the everyday web that we browse. Onion routing involves like a network of nodes or points in a chain that you kind of get bounced between and each point in the chain adds a new layer of encryption. And encryption by a single standard would be hard to break through. And when you add layer upon layer of encryption to a connection, it becomes even harder to trace and even harder to break through. So it's a very privacy conscious way of browsing the web and the sites on it uh, are also anonymous and very private. So it's hard to track who uh, set up a website and who is hosting it, as well as who is browsing the sites and visiting them. And the advantages of that would be that people are able to, you know, conduct private browsing. So you'll find a lot of journalists journalists will be on uh, the dark web, uh, liaising with sources that are trying to remain anonymous for whistleblowing reasons and things like that. You'll find uh, that there are websites on the dark web that you'll find on the surface web. There's bbc.com, but there's also bbc.onion. And the reason why it's, a, it's basically a mirror of bbc.com, it's international website. The reason why that exists is because there are people in countries that in like the normal everyday browsing cannot access bbc.com because it's been banned or whatever in their nation. And the BBC wants to provide the service to them of giving them the news from the outside world that they're being inhibited from accessing. So bbc.onion allows people to privately access that and get around their government's restrictions. But you cannot stumble across the dark web. Absolutely not. Even if you are accessing the dark web itself, and like I said, you need this onion routing. So a lot of people use what's called the Tor browser, the okay. onion router's browser. There are other browsers that enable you to 
use Tor connectivity. It's all through this Tor system, essentially. Um, so you can't just stumble upon it. You need special software, essentially, to access it. And then once you access it again, it's not like our Surface Web where you have Google and you can find wherever you need through Google. You would still need to know the URL of the sites that you're trying to access. And it, they'll end .onion, but it could be a string of characters before that. And it won't be as simple of as like buy drugs.onion or something like that. It will be a long, uh, kind of hard to remember URL but they would be shared on the surface web in various chat rooms and stuff like that. So there's people who kind of end up stumbling upon it on the surface web in, in terms of instructions to access it, but you couldn't just stumble across the sites, if that so makes sense. So what's the difference then between the dark web and the deep web? Oh, so uh, the deep web is kind of anything that is unlisted. Uh, so there's lots of websites that aren't listed in search engines for whatever reason. There's a bit of code that you can put in a website that your website won't get listed in a search engine. And that's more broadly uh, referred to as the deep web. So the deep web is still accessed via surface web technologies. It's just that you usually wouldn't access it via a search engine or anything like that. So the deep web would be an even bigger contingent. But the dark web is, as I said, intentionally masking and uh, using privacy to uh kind of hide okay, its activity. So if, if it's masking and using pro like it sounds sinister. That to me yeah, sounds it does. sinister. Like is it is it even possible to say that there's positive aspects to that? Well, like I said, like there's people say uh, in Russia or in China who can access world news and websites uh, from around the world that they couldn't access through restrictions in those countries if they didn't have access to Tor browsing. Now, they can also use things like VPNs. And that's, again, a technology that your listeners might be more familiar with. That is a similar kind of concept, these virtual private networks. Now, people here might use them because they have Netflix and they want to see the US content library of Netflix and they want to disguise their IP address and say, oh, okay. I'm in the US, okay. not in Ireland, and I want to see the US content library for Netflix. Um, similar kind of concept. You're disguising where you're coming from, where you're based uh, using these technologies. So who are the main users of it? Uh, well, like I said, there's lots of journalists on the dark web, but there are also lots of criminals on the yeah. dark web um, because you can conduct illicit activities there and not be traced as easily as you would be on the surface web. Uh, because there's lots of criminal activity on the dark web, there's also lots of police on the dark web, lots of law enforcement users who are there to research and track down this illicit activity and try to do their best to infiltrate these communities. There's also cybersecurity researchers are on the dark web because you also find a lot of hackers will do data dumps on the dark web. Most people will have come across the term when a hack has taken place and they'll say things like, and the data was found on the dark web or circulating on the dark web. That happened with our HSE attack here in Ireland where that data was found on the dark web. Uh, it happens with a lot of hacks um, that have happened uh, so the, in history. The thing that gets me is... Uh, Listening to you, t like I have to concentrate really hard <laughs> to try and absorb all the information and wrap my head around it and get a grasp of it, which would lead me to wonder, do you not need to be some kind of a genius to use this? So how are young people accessing this? I, it sounds so yeah, complex to me. That is a very common misconception. It is very easy to access. If you Can you download a browser? I can. Then you can access the dark web. Uh, that's all you need to do and you'll be directed like I said to find uh, dark web browsers fairly easily you could Google Tor has a surface web website and uh, there are other browsers uh, that are kind of 
promoted as competitors to things like Google Chrome um, and Apple Safari and all the other browsers out there, Google Chrome being the, vi- the most popular by a long shot. But Google Chrome is owned by Google and is seen as not a very privacy conscious browser by people who are advocates in that space. So you'll find those browsers like Brave and Brave has a version of its privacy browsing, your private tab, your incognito browsing uh, that has Tor connectivity. So this is a browser that's promoted as like a mainstream uh, privacy conscious browser that lots of people use to browse the surface web. Uh, but you can open up a tab and enable Tor connectivity and access the .onion website if you know the URL that you're trying to get to. Okay. So it's very simple. So I think I think um, because I didn't realise it was easy. So a lot of parents probably don't realise that it's easy. Is there anything that we could be looking out for on computers to show yeah. that it's been accessed or that it's been used or that there's a possibility your kid is tampering with the dark web. Yeah, you should absolutely understand what your kids are using to access the web. Um, I would say to any parent out there, giving your kid access to the web unsupervised is like just letting them roam the streets by themselves unsupervised. And I don't think age? any parent would... Well, would you do that at any... At, any young age would you no. let your kid just wander through Dublin streets unaccompanied no yeah so doing that online I would really like ask them to challenge themselves doing that because they do have access to absolutely everything more so than they would wandering the streets of Dublin because it's the entire world and all of its intricacies that they can access and that's even without adding the dark web to that mix so and do you, do you what you're them? looking for is do they have the Tor browser like I said, it's a specific browser that you need or do they have other browsers that are privacy conscious, which they may be using for legitimate reasons. Maybe they are privacy conscious. I do find that teenagers are a lot more privacy conscious than older users these days. So they may be just using a Brave browser because of that. But are they using Tor connectivity? Talk to them about the software that they're using, why they're using it. Are they using a VPN to access things like US Netflix, like I said earlier? Do they have the password to the VPN or do you control access to the VPN? Because if they are using a VPN for that, what else could they be using it for? Have a think about that. That's terrifying. I think it that doesn't that's have to really be terrifying. Scary. I think it's just called parenting. Yeah, but, it, but because the language around it for yeah. a lot of people is jargon, it, you know, for a lot of people, it is very hard to understand. And that's scary because kids and young adults are so au fait with it and they're yeah. comfortable with it. They will be more savvy than you, guaranteed. Like it was the same, like I did grow up on the internet on a very early version of the internet. And this dark web actually reminds me of that where you didn't have Google. You had to be able to find things through chat rooms and getting links and directed things that way and I came across some bad things in chat rooms when I was only like a, a 13, 14 year old like that was happening then it still happens now we've had decades of this hugely uh, engaging form of media that we still haven't actually built a whole education of media literacy around and we've had decades to do it and we've really just slept on that and then we have a generation who's actually accessing it in a way that I would say is a bit more surface level everything is very easy you don't actually have to understand how these things work to be able to access it like I don't need to understand Onion Routing to download the Onion Router and access the dark web I would just be directed to oh just download this and go to this site in some forum or website or something like that and that lack of understanding of how this stuff works and how algorithms work as well because they actually play a part here I think it leaves people not actually understanding the media that they're consuming and how it's actually engineered around them and the reason why I brought up algorithms is because there's a thought here that uh, the girl involved in the Brianna Brianna Gay case started out she had this uh, pretty active interest in horror films and quite gory horror films that were inappropriate for her age group and 
through that interest ended up being directed to more and more extreme content. And that is something that happens through algorithms. If you start searching something uh, online and show a voracious interest in that, an algorithm will then keep tailoring content to deliver yeah, you more of the same. Can an algorithm direct you to the dark web? No, but it can. like I said, it directs you to forums where people are interested in extreme content and it just creates that pathway that you make connections and get further and further into a community that directs you towards okay. more and more extreme content. Now, that won't happen to everyone who's into horror films. I'm absolutely not saying that. Um, but what I would say about algorithms and the tracking that can happen online is when you're interested in unhealthy content, you can be directed to more of the same, whether that's even what you want to be accessing anymore. And it might be that you know it's not in your best interest to access that content, but you keep engaging with it because it's constantly being served up to you. And something that actually is uh, quite dominant on the dark web. It's basically any content that's hard to get on the surface web, you'll find proliferates on the dark web. And that can be anything as nefarious as child sexual abuse Im- imagery, but it can also be something as quite simplistic as extreme dieting information, which again exists on the surface web, but platforms are actually doing a better job lately of shutting that content down. But if you're really interested in finding it, you'll still find it on the dark web. And if uh, say a young girl or young teenager or something like that is looking up things about dieting, um, like terrible body image issues, maybe suffering from a terrible body image, they will get served up more content in that area. So this doesn't have to be as extreme as the Brianna Gay case. Like the kind so, of content that's served up through people's algorithms can be really damaging and inhibiting okay, at a young age. Say, let's just say you are noticing your algorithm is serving you up unhealthy content and you're becoming aware of it. You're thinking, Jesus, I don't like what I'm seeing. Um, but yet it keeps coming up, as you said. Mm-hmm. How can you stop that happening when you see those pop-ups come up on websites that are offering you all the cookies in the world do not take the cookies Uh, the websites will say oh you need these cookies to experience this website uh, perfectly and enhanced turn them off and see if you can still experience it the way you want to and you'll find that you can majority of the time I would absolutely say no to cookies you could also look at better privacy minded browsers so Chrome like I said the world's most popular browser not very privacy minded but there are alternatives out there that aren't anything to do with the dark web so uh, Apple Safari is a much better privacy minded browser Uh, Firefox is one that I use personally I think it's got a better performance as well than Google Chrome and there are lots of other things out there that you can do and it's really just a case of preserving your data footprint your digital footprint so that things don't follow you around as much you will still if you're browsing the surface web and things that are based on searches and other ways that you've uh, browsed the web and your recommendations engines and stuff like that but it's trying to make them maybe a little bit less extremely targeted I think I well I've already learned something there because I would always say yes to the cookies so you'll find your experience won't change if you say no to them Um, following from the Brianna Gay case there that you were just mentioning um, they're restricting teenagers phones restricting internet access what is the story there can we do it is it actually possible or are they more suave than us are they going to get around it yeah I mean it's like it's like uh, anything with tech and stuff like that it's always like a cat and mouse game like even with things like encryption and stuff like that it's not impossible to break through layers of encryption it just takes a long time and a lot of effort and but it's the same with parenting and trying to police those phones. There are tools, there's like nanny software that you can uh, install on phones that limits, say, the time that they spend, can limit the websites that they access. I would say if you do that and it's not in a kind of cooperative way with your child, you're not likely to get a good response. They will start to seek workarounds because you haven't worked with them in that space. And this is this is coming, like, I, obviously I'm a t- more of a tech expert uh, in, in this area, but I have spoken a lot to child psychotherapists about children's use of devices and their advice tends to be to be more cooperative 
cooperative with your kids. Talk to them about their use of the internet. Talk to them about responsibility. Talk to them about media literacy in not a kind of judgmental way. Just talk to them about it. Be open about it so that they feel open about coming to you about things that they may find online because chances are they will encounter something that is disturbing when they're online and if they feel like if they come to you and say that to you and you're going to take all their devices away they are less likely to come to you and say anything about it but if you have created an open dialogue with them about what they found online and haven't made that about threats of taking devices away if they stumble upon something bad they're more likely to engage with you and also if they're they're very young kids you have to think of what's called their uh, ability to self-regulate and and young kids wouldn't have that ability. Like if young kids were sat in front of a table full of sweets, they're going to gorge on them. Um, think of their internet diet that way as well. They're not able to self-regulate. So you are actually going to have to, you know, make that a restriction yourself. Okay. Uh, you can't expect them to have a device that they have access to 24-7 and to regulate themselves in the use of that, especially when that device is designed to engage them for hours on end. Uh, so that's something to consider with very young kids. And then it's a case of as well, uh, this is a common doctor's advice, which I thought was really good. He's a great psychotherapist who does work in this area. When you're giving kids devices and, and, and trying to ease them into it, do ease them into it. So to kind of charge them with creating uh, this sense of responsibility around it. So it's kind of like if they were asking for a later curfew and you would maybe inch that downwards and then if they're late one of the nights it goes back again. So if, if, if they can show that they're responsible, they get more access to things. If they don't show that they're responsible, it goes back to square one, but they can still build back up their responsibility. And that's really engaging with your children and with your teens on this stuff and making it more of a cooperative agreement. And, and teaching them feel like they're well. involved as well. Exactly. And that they have some kind of autonomy in it as well. Absolutely. Really good advice, Elaine. Uh, thank you so much for coming in today to talk about the good and the bad sides of the dark web. And you can hear more of Elaine Burke on For Tech's Sake podcast. Jen Zamparelli on 2FM with Leia Healthcare. Always a beat ahead. Visit leiahealthcare.ie. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always.